Good afternoon, everyone. This is James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker, and welcome to my podcast. 40,000 amazing followers strong across all social media platforms at Notorious Banker. On TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter, I am the author of High Risk Transaction, the Ryan Coogler Bank of America Incident, now available on Amazon in ebook and paperback format. I am the author of the soon-to-be-published book, Pretty Condo, which is about my grandfather, that will be released on November 13th on Amazon and Amazon Kindle stores with also a direct purchase method through yours truly via email for just $15 with all proceeds going to help my grandmother out. Guys, thank you so very much for your love and support. I really do appreciate it. I'm glad to add that to the title of this podcast that I am the author of the book Predicondo. I am finishing up the editing on it. I am finished writing. It is 107,000 words. Now, if you're interested in buying this, I don't want you to freak out over the amount of words that are in this book. It is actually an easy read. It's actually an entertaining read and an interesting read. It, It talks a lot about what's going on in my world the last three months because my grandfather passed away on July 16th. And it was a pretty big moment in my family's life because... We had to talk about finances as a family. We had to talk about the last wishes of my grandfather um, in a way that we never talk like that. You know, most families don't talk like that. And I had to deal with banks and I had to deal with car dealerships and um, the auto lender for my grandfather's and my mom's vehicle that they jointly purchased together and were financing along with dealing with the funeral home, the churches, all these things, not to mention at the end of every you know Catholic funeral, there's this big get-together with a lot of food. In New Mexico, we call it the comida. And I talk about the need to couponing, the way of saving, the what we did in order to find resources to have the best type of experience that one could have in such a somber type of um, situation. And I got to tell you, the 10 days that I talk about primarily in this book were 10 of the most interesting days of my life and I'm humbled to be able to share them with my followers and fans so you'll be able to purchase this book November 13th which is my grandfather's 86th birthday if he were here and for $15 you'll be able to purchase it directly from me which I will email to you as a digital download PDF file you can read it on your iPad or you can read it on your computer or your phone or whatever and um, all the proceeds to that direct download We'll be going to helping my grandmother out. Now, she's not a charity case. She does not need a GoFundMe. It's not like the, the lights are going to go off at her house. But her house does need some serious repairs, okay? There, and I talk about that in the book. Uh, I've seen her mobile home, and it is dilapidated. I really want to be able to help improve her living situation in the, the last years of her life. So anything that I earn on this book will be going towards her. And I, I will give you more details as they become available. I'll do another podcast by then. But um, this book is good. And and as the Notorious Banker, as someone who talks about banking all the time, there is a lot of financial talk in there. I've included some mini chapters that have some financial tips, um, primarily for people who are dealing with a loss in the household. Because there are a lot of things that banks don't tell you. There's a lot of paperwork that you don't know that you need. There's a lot of paperwork that you don't even know to expect. And I really want you to be prepared. I was prepared um, to deal with a lot of the stuff that happened with my grandfather because I was a bank manager. Yet it still took me aback. It still took me by surprise. It still frustrated me 
because there's certain policies and procedures that are just part of the normal, hey, this is what happens when someone dies situation. But it's all about how you handle it. It's all about having grace. It's all about having professionalism. And there were some moments in the 10-day process where I just didn't see that. And I could understand why people are freaking out. I could understand why you know, GoFundMes go up within hours of someone's death because there's all this, you know, unsure thoughts. You know, there's all these moments where you're like, am I going to be able to pay the bills? Are we going to be able to afford this thing? And if they say that the funeral is going to cost $10,000 and we have five, are they just not going to bury dad or what? I mean, it's a, it's a lot of conversations. And I think a lot of people who read this book probably don't have a detailed understanding of the minutia of someone passing away as it pertains to banking, uh, whenever you're financing something, or just, you know, the day-to-day responsibilities that one has paying bills. You don't realize that DirecTV needs a death certificate in order to switch names on an account. It's very hopelessly complicated. It's truly an American type of problem, and um, I'll be talking about that a lot. But I will, you know, talk about my grandfather and my family in the book, and it's going to be to honor them. There is some difficult conversations that I have in the book and things that I was dealing with. Um, but I want to be frank and honest with you because that's all I know how to do is to be frank and honest. You will like this book, I promise you. So once again, the book is called Pretty Condo. It is available November 13th on Amazon in both ebook slash Kindle format and as a paperback book. I will tell you right now, I'm not necessarily wanting you to buy the paperback book unless you like collecting books because it's probably going to be $24 to $26. And to be frank with you, um, the net profit as an author um, from you holding a paperback book is very minimal because it costs a lot of money to generate those books. So I highly recommend the Kindle ebook format or a direct download from yours truly by email with a $15 direct payment. And I'll give you the specifics the next time we talk on this podcast. But I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot of things to talk about in the news. Bank earnings are um, this week. Well, they started on Friday and they continue on this week. Goldman Sachs is one of the companies that is reporting earnings. And of course, they made a shit ton of money, just like Wells Fargo did, surprisingly. Just like Chase did, Citibank did, and Bank of America. All of them make tens of billions of dollars every quarter. Um, you know, And the trickle-down effect to the lower-end employees goes to $20 to $25 an hour at most major financial institutions. So the rich get richer, the entry-level bankers get a little bit more money, but they're nowhere even near middle class based on the amount of money that they earn for these companies. Goldman Sachs, um, about four years ago, was a little more than four years ago, announced Apple Card with Apple as a way of providing credit card services for a lot of Apple users. And, you know, I, I came into owning an iPhone in 2020 during the pandemic. I was always an Android person, never really was big with Apple. I decided to bite the bullet and try an iPhone out. Now I can't live without it. And, you know, Apple Card was there. It was something that I applied for and got denied for um, bad credit. If you've heard this podcast, you've heard me talk about my trials and tribulations of credit. And um, it's there on the phone. And it's there on the phone for pretty much anyone who has an iPhone who wants to try to be a credit card holder of an Apple Card through Goldman Sachs. 
And see, that's the big problem. My prediction in 2019 was Apple Card was going to be a success in the grand scheme of things, meaning that there were going to be a lot of people that were going to be cardholders of Apple Card. However, I had some skepticism about did Goldman Sachs really want to deal with the average American? Did Goldman Sachs really want to deal with the average Joe? No, Goldman Sachs, much like Bank of America, Chase, and all the big banks strive to be, they want to be a bank, a financial institution for the wealthy, for the well-off, because they make their money off of people who have a lot of money. So Goldman Sachs, I just found it interesting that they were so interested in giving credit cards or a virtual credit card because a lot of people don't have the actual physical Apple card. It's on their phone, you know, giving them a $500 limit, a $1,000 limit there, you know, and they pay for McDonald's and they pay for, you know, parking at a, you know, in a parking garage or something like that. And like, why does Goldman Sachs want to deal with this? Don't they want to deal with millionaires? Don't they want to deal with investments and bonds and mutual funds and stuff like that? Goldman Sachs really seems to be slumming. It just reminds me of, you know, someone who has $100 million going to go pick up a hooker on the street as opposed to calling a high-end call girl service, you know? Like, why do you want to deal with these people? And I am one of these people. I'm one of those people. I'm someone that Goldman Sachs probably doesn't want to deal with. Although I strive to be in that territory, I really am not one of them. So word came out and I read an article through Gizmodo, which is still one of my favorite websites, that Goldman Sachs wants out of the Apple Card business. They decided, yeah, it's not really worth our time and trouble. And they want to get out of consumer lending, just like they got out of consumer banking not too long ago. So this podcast is going to be strictly talking about the article that I read. And my opinion about Goldman Sachs finally saying, yeah, we don't want to deal with these people. We want to deal with our, our rich people with their sock garters and their Armani suits. And do people wear Armani, Armani suits anymore? I don't know. But, you know, people who drive $100,000 vehicles have half-million-dollar homes and have disposable income to drop two grand to go see Adele in Vegas. Those are the people that Goldman Sachs wants to deal with. People with money, people with disposable money, and people with so much money they don't know what to do with it, so they rely on Goldman Sachs. So after this brief promotional consideration, I'm going to talk to you about the Goldman Sachs-Apple deal, um, the the hope that it brought for Apple and Goldman Sachs in 2019 whenever it started, and in 2023, why Goldman Sachs is like, yeah, no, I'm done. It's not you, it's me. We'll be right back. James Baca, known professionally as Notorious Banker, invites you to join me on TikTok. It's at Notorious Banker on TikTok. Join the over 22,000 followers and following me, this weird nearly 40-year-old man, and discussing problems going on with big things, problems going on with customer service in this crazy world, in a funny, acerbic way that no one else can match. I've had the fortune of having nearly 600,000 likes of my content since I started on TikTok last year, and it just keeps on growing. My followers keep on growing. Nick Jonas of the Jonas Brothers follows me on TikTok, which I just find weird because although I like the Jonas Brothers music, I have never interacted with the man once in my life, yet I am one of 40 accounts that he follows. That just goes to show you the uniqueness of my content, and I'm proud to say that my content is unique. 
we hit up big banks we hit up businesses that have poor customer service no we don't show karen videos okay because that's going too far but we talk about things in an enlightened manner a funny manner and we have a good time doing that so once again at notorious banker on tiktok join me on the social media network that everyone seems to be talking about um i promise you one thing you'll always have an interesting video to watch and you follow me, the Notorious Banker, on TikTok. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's James Baca, the Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on my Substack, thenotoriousbanker.substack.com. It is called the Notorious Banker Consumer Beast. Well, you know me as a podcaster and bank pundit and consumer advocate on social media, writing is my first passion. I am a published author of several books. I was on Notorious, no pun intended, for my blogging on social media sites such as MySpace in the mid-2000s, which furthered my love of writing, which allowed me to develop a voice and develop confidence in this crazy world that we live in throughout the years. My one promise with Consumer Beast is I'm going to talk about more than just banking. I'm going to talk about things that impact consumers in little subtle ways that slowly but surely impact the way that you spend your money, the way that you do business with certain companies, and the way that you feel about things going on in this crazy world. Consumer Beast is going to be my pet project that I'm going to try to blog at least once a week, hopefully sometimes twice a week. But I urge you to subscribe for free at thenotoriousbanker.substack.com. There will be a paid version of that in the near future. But for now, read my content free of charge, share it with your friends, and hit subscribe on that button, please. That's the Notorious Banker's Consumer Beast Substack at thenotoriousbanker.substack.com. Thank you so much. All right, and I'm back with more Notorious Banker. And once again, I just would like to announce that the name of my new book is called Pretty Condo. It is available November 13th on Amazon in both ebook and paperback format or through digital download via email by yours truly. $15 will be the cost of the digital download. Please buy it today. All the proceeds will go to benefit my grandmother. Now on to today's topic. First off, I want to talk about I love Gizmodo and the the network that Gizmodo came from a decade ago. Gizmodo was part of a group of websites such as Deadspin, Jalopnik, Jezebel, Kotaku, and Gawker 10 years ago. And while I was working at Bank of America, I got to tell you, that is what kept me sane. Being able to be in the drive-thru or even in my office, just looking at my phone, reading a story from the blogs that are those websites and just laughing. I just, I always, I always felt solace in humorous informative writing and the people who were writers of those websites always made me crack up and made me look at sports technology cars women's issues and just daily news a lot differently because it had a different perspective than twitter at that point i wasn't a big twitter guy yet facebook or whatever and it just made me smile because it told me like you know what no matter how shitty the day is I have these websites and there's always something to learn. There's always some new information or new, um, in the case of Gizmodo, new technology that was coming out and they were going to break it down in a way that was easy for me to digest. So I love these websites. Of course, uh, WWE Hall of Famer Hulk Hogan 
sued the company that was the owner of Gawker about 10 years ago for um, allegedly, well, it wasn't allegedly because I saw it, for posting a sex tape that Hulk Hogan had with the wife of radio DJ Bubba the Love Sponge. And it was weird. It's weird to see your heroes in that situation. Um, and apparently it was weird for Hulk Hogan to do it too because in that video, um, he's also dropping racial epithets and it was bad. It made the WWE disassociate themselves from Hulk Hogan for a long time. He lost his second, you know, his retirement income, if you will. And he sued Gawker um, with the help of a, a very rich person by the name of Peter Thiel, who is um, friends with our former president. I'll just say it like that. And he has an unlimited amount of money to destroy his enemies while his enemy was Gawker and the company that owned Gawker. And using Hulk Hogan as a tool, um, because Hulk Hogan used his tool on a video, um, he sued Gawker and he won a settlement that effectively put Gawker out of business permanently. He tried to come back last year. It wasn't the same. It sucked. But the rest of the blogs that were part of the network, such as Gizmodo and Deadspin, got spun off. They were owned by um, Univision, the Spanish language station. And they are owned by someone else now. I don't know who the owner is. You've got to forgive me for that. Um, but I'll still occasionally read you know, some of their articles. It's not the same, though. Um, Deadspin, the sports blog, for instance, is not as funny. They'll talk about things in ways that I like to read. But there's no humor. There's no comments um, that are um, by readers. It doesn't give you the inside perspective and humor that I wanted. So it's a lot different. But this morning I woke up to a Gizmodo article that piqued my interest because it talked about something that, of course, is Notorious Banker related and something we have talked about on this podcast even four years ago, and that's Apple Card. You know, my my brother works for Apple through a subsidiary company, and he's worked um, indirectly with them for a long time. So, you know, it's one of those companies that I'm familiar with just because of his work experience. I have nothing bad to say about Apple, although I am 40 years old and I grew up at a time where Apple was failing. You know, they had the Apple Newton, you know, their Macintosh computers were not doing good. I just remember them as the slow-ass computers that we had in elementary and middle school. So I grew up in a world where Apple was not successful, and by the time I got out of high school, the iPod made its debut, and when the iPod made its debut, it revolutionized things. Then the iPhone came out, and look where we're at now. There's literally a billion of these phones out there in the world. Even I got one. I love it. I cannot live without it. And Apple is sitting on a nest egg of a couple of trillion dollars. It is one of the richest companies of all time, and it's going to continue to grow because every year they come out with a new iPhone, and every year there's a bunch of idiots who decide to drop $1,500 on another phone that they don't need, and it only has nominal increases in picture quality and whatnot. I don't understand it. I'm going to last you know, three years with this phone, God willing, as long as I don't drop it. Um, and that's just the way that I look at it. Even though I love and I can't live without this phone, it's going to last me that long, and I'll be just fine. Thank you. But of course, Apple is expanding to other things. You know, Apple was testing out their self-driving car stuff. And then, of course, they have the home speaker market, which isn't as successful because that's the only home speaker that I don't have. And then, of course, Apple TV Plus. They were the producers of an Oscar-winning movie called Coda. And then in 2019, 
one of the things that came up was they wanted to get into the banking business, the lending business, and they reached out to Goldman Sachs and partnered up with Goldman Sachs to help create Apple Card, which was a credit card that would be available on your phone that you'll be able to use at a tap to pay anywhere credit cards are accepted and tap to pay is accepted. Or, of course, you can use the credit card for other things as well. Some people have a physical card, but most have the card virtually on their phone. Um, this is something that I don't have as a customer because my credit is shot at the moment. Um, they did invite me to do the secured card thing. I'm going to politely pass on that. And I think the reason why I'm politely passing on it is kind of the reason why four and a half years later, Goldman Sachs wants nothing to do with this business anymore. So according to Gizmodo.com, which is the company, the blog that I just referenced in the first few minutes of this segment here, the Wall Street giant is expected to disappoint in tomorrow's third quarter earnings with the Apple partnership facing intense scrutiny. Now here's the thing with banks, okay? Banks make billions upon billions of dollars. We've we've talked about that so much, I get tired of talking about it. They make money, so what? There's nothing we can do to stop it, okay? There's just not, it's just impossible. But when it, if you've worked in banking, you understand one thing. If you hit 100% of your sales goal, your boss is going to say, why didn't I hit 105%? Why didn't you hit 110%? James, you can do 115%. If you could do 100, you can do 115. They want constant growth. They want constant improvement. So if Goldman Sachs is going to disappoint in earnings, yet they're still going to make a few billion dollars of profit, one has to wonder is like, well, why can't you be happy with just being profitable? Because they want a bigger piece of the pie. They want a bigger percentage share of the revenue being profit. And one of the things that they've noticed, apparently, um, according to this article, is their partnership with Apple to create Apple Card is simply not doing it for them. And they're just trying to exit the, the retail credit business. So let me read parts of this article and I'll stop as I make my points here. It says Goldman Sachs' third quarter earnings may be the final straw for the Apple card as the Wall Street giant faces internal pressure to exit the consumer lending space. The Apple partnership has long been seen as a distraction from Goldman's core business, the Wall Street Journal reported on Monday. And we'll get to that Wall Street Journal article in a second here. It says in regards to the recently launched Apple savings accounts, which is something that my brother and I talked about a couple weeks ago, mind you, a Goldman Sachs partner told the colleagues, quote, we should have never done this fucking thing, end quote. I think it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. And I'm gonna, I'll get to the Wall Street Journal article here in a second here. Um, the fact of the matter is their core business is investing. Goldman Sachs, their core business is rich people. Their, their, their core business is investment banking, okay? It is not your grandma with a little $500 Christmas club savings account. That way she can buy teddy bears for the grandkids. That is just not what Goldman Sachs does, okay? They are an investment bank, financial services company. They have financial advisors. You know, they, they're they market makers. You know, they, they do private equity funds, hedge funds. And, you know, looking at the revenue in 2022, $47 billion in revenue, uh, $1.44 trillion in assets. That's as big as um, Bank of America, with Bank of America having 
substantially more customers than Goldman Sachs. Um, they're huge. They're beyond huge, okay? They are as big as it gets in the banking industry. And what can I say? Goldman Sachs is one of those, you know, one of those companies that I just never thought that I would be a part of because I never thought that I would be this rich, you know? And Goldman Sachs just wants to deal with rich folks. Now, it's funny that we talk about it this way, but I've always talked about it this way. There are some banks that are not for people. There are some banks that are specifically for one type of person. There's local banks in New Mexico that are only there for the people who work in the oil fields or people who own oil companies. You know, there are it's it's something that we don't talk about a lot. That's why credit unions thrive. That's why they had Teachers Credit Union or General Motors Federal Credit Union or Navy Federal Credit Union or whatever. You know, there's always there's always a bank that was specifically earmarked towards one subset of the population. And Goldman Sachs, um, their subset of population is rich assholes. <laughs> it's rich people, okay? It's rich people. They have 10 million customers. That's far less than the 66 million customers Bank of America has and the 30-some-odd million that Wells Fargo has because all of them tend to be rich. $110 billion in deposits with just 10 million customers. And, you know, of course, the consumer lending, the business lending, all the other stuff that they do with hedge funds and everything, that's where the lion's share of their money is made. So why would they want to get into Apple Card? Well, because much like any bank, they thought that it would be beneficial to their bottom dollar by getting customers that would never otherwise walk through the doors either in a brick and mortar. There's no brick and mortar Goldman Sachs banks the way that there are B of A's or virtually to Goldman Sachs to bring them their business. Because there are a lot of customers out there that have millions of dollars, and they don't understand how to deal with a company the likes of Goldman Sachs. They just have all their money in a local bank, and they're happy with it. Thank you very much. But that's not what Goldman Sachs wanted. So they figured that, hey, if we do this partnership with um, Apple, that maybe we can get some of those iPhone users, because guess what? These rich people have iPhones, too. Maybe they'll apply for a card. Maybe they'll get some information about Goldman Sachs. And maybe they'll give us a call. One of our advisors can help them. And we can bring those deposits there. That's the way bankers think. Bankers always think that everything is a sales opportunity as long as you get your foot in the door. Well, I don't disagree with their mindset because that is true. Sometimes it just takes a conversation to get a sales conversation going I think Goldman Sachs really thought they can be everything for everybody. And that just really wasn't ever in the cards for them. You know, I, I posted on Twitter before I did this podcast. It's like, well, why does Goldman Sachs want to be the exclusive um, card provider of your neighbor who only uses credit cards for his Pornhub premium account? Like, why do they want to be a part of a, you know, fourteen ninety nine a month credit card transaction? When, dude, they can be dealing with multinational corporations with billions of dollars of lending. They can be dealing with someone with hundreds of millions of dollars of deposits that they want to make. Why do they want to deal with you? Why do they want to deal with your neighbor? Why do they want to deal with the entry-level 18-year-old kid who's trying to get their first credit card? And their only means of having any credit history is trying to buy a phone through a cell phone service. 
it's crazy. I it never made sense to me. Now I did a podcast four years ago which said that Apple Card could revolutionize the way that we do business with credit cards, and I will safely say I was correct in that aspect. I didn't think that there was going to be a global pandemic, but virtual cards, using your card in a unique way, your phone being the center of the universe for how you make payments, that became more of a thing from 2019 now to 2023. So of course the tech is there, but the the fact is, do all these companies want to be a part of it? Some don't, and Goldman Sachs doesn't want to. And according to this Gizmodo article, they're facing pressure to cut losses. And it says analysts expect the bank's profits to be significantly down for the quarter. It says Apple's products with the bank may be on the chopping block if earnings are as bad as expected. Senior executives want out of the consumer lending space, um, sources told the Wall Street Journal. And Apple's financial products could be offloaded to another bank, possibly American Express. And then it says Goldman stock is down um, 11% in 2023, but the entire banking industry has been down this year. It says an index for the largest banks fell 24% in 2023, and that was mainly because of the Silicon Valley Bank failure, all the regional bank stressors that were going on early part of the year. So the CEO of Goldman Sachs in 2019, David Solomon, called the Apple Cards rollout the most successful credit card launch ever. I would agree 100% because I don't know if you remember a few years ago whenever everyone got the latest U2 album on their iPhones and everyone was offended by that. Everyone was pissed off like, why the fuck are you sending me a U2 album? I think U2 sucks. I I don't like U2 as much, but I would totally go see them in the sphere in Vegas. But if you send me a 200 megabyte you know, file that has 12 newer U2 songs, and I only care about the old shit, even if you're giving it to me for free, doesn't necessarily mean that I want it. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's funny how just because you hand something complimentary to someone, it's just in people's natures to go, what's the catch? Why are you doing this? So within days of pushing that free album onto iPhones, they said, oh, yeah, we're sorry. We, we, we didn't. <laughs> we, we made a mistake. We know you didn't want it. But it's available for you if you do want it. And that same mindset is what launched Apple Card. And that's why Solomon said it was the most successful card launch ever. Because you basically had a pop-up on hundreds of millions of phones that says, hey, you know, here at Apple, we've partnered up with Goldman Sachs to roll out this Apple Card. And these are the benefits. We're going to give you cash back on all your purchases. You'll be able to pay it in full every day, whatever. You know, there's all these cool little things. My brother got it at launch, and he likes it. He loves it. You know, he can't live without it. But me, I never got into it just because, like I said, I was working on my credit. But I just was skeptical about it. I just just felt like how Apple has their own branded, you know, well, of course, they're going to have phone chargers, but you need a, an official Apple iPad case. Well, they'll have it at an Apple store, and it's going to be two or three times more than what a normal iPad case is going to cost you. It's the prestige of owning a card with an Apple logo. Because whenever you see someone walking around with like an Apple laptop, you just think, oh, they spent a lot of money on it. Because if you see me with my little Acer laptop for $129, you're going to go, well, that guy must have slept outside on Black Friday, you know. It, it's two entirely different groups of people. 
So, you know, Solomon was right that it was a big card launch, but that doesn't mean it was, you know, successful in the sense that they were going to make a lot of money out of it. A successful credit card launch just basically meant they did it the right way and they did it to the most amount of people that they could possibly do it. And then um, Tim Cook, or Tim Apple, as Donald Trump used to call him, called it the most significant change in the credit card experience in 50 years. While I don't disagree with that, as I mentioned, the fact that using a card virtually just became kind of the it thing during the COVID-19 pandemic. The fact of the matter was, it was only revolutionary in, in that no one had the balls to go almost exclusively digital at that point. People want a physical card. When I would do an application for a credit card at the bank and they'd get approved instantly, they say, well, before I go, can I have my card? As if I had a, a card printer in my office. I didn't. Some banks do for debit cards, but, you know, I digress. I said, well, you have to wait seven to ten days. And they'd be so pissed off. They're like, well, why did you offer it to me if I had to wait? I'm like, well, it doesn't come from me. It comes in the mail. So people still want the physical card. So the significant change in the credit card experience was going to always be a thing. But even Apple still offered physical cards because they know people wanted something fungible, something tangible in their hands. But it says, you know, the tone has shifted since 2019 when Solomon and Tim Apple were celebrating this Apple card. It says Goldman executives are questioning whether their consumer banking um, division should have ever happened, you know. And I've always been quite skeptical of it, you know. It's, it's something that just didn't make sense to me, you know. Think of it like, in, you know, I don't know if you're a... Uh, I don't know if you're a golf fan, but I'm a big fan of the major tournaments. And one of the biggest ones is the Masters. And the Masters is a very exclusive tournament won by Jack Nicklaus six times, won by Tiger Woods five times. Five, yeah, five times. <laughs> I had to double check on that one. And um, it's played in an exclusive setting in Augusta, Georgia, where there's not a lot of members, like literally a li limited amount of members, which became a big thing because... They weren't admitting women or people of color for the longest time. But also, their tournament has just like 82 golfers at a time. A normal golf tournament, if you go to like the Waste Management Open in Phoenix, will have 170 golfers. They just have half that in Augusta because you have to meet certain criteria. Unless you're a former champion or finished in the top five in ties the year before, you can't get in that tournament unless you qualify through winning other tournaments. So it's a tournament of winners. It's a tournament of successful people, not the average Joe who can have like a tryout and dominate at a local public course and say, hey, you're going to Augusta. No, they want the cream of the crop there. Now, if Augusta said, come one, come all, you can qualify in Las Cruces, New Mexico at the university's golf course, and I shoot a two under, do I really deserve to be in Augusta, Georgia? No, I really don't want to, and they don't want me there either. And like I said, you know, Goldman Sachs is always at. It's like, well, we want the best of the best customers because the best of the best are what is what's going to make us a lot of money. So, you know, back in the day, you know, bankers just wanted as many customers as they possibly, you know, can get. And then Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and all the bigger banks said, you know, 
we want to push people to digital options, meaning we don't want to talk with these people anymore. We want them to be self-sufficient. That way we can have our people in our offices talk to rich people. And they succeeded at that, and guess guess who got fired for that? I got fired for that. Um, but of course, Goldman Sachs had a had to turn that consumer banking aside from Apple Card. They had the Marcus checking account a couple years ago, and I don't know if you remember Marcus. Not a lot of people did. Um, it went away. They closed down this checking account because not not a lot of people were using it, and the people who were using it didn't have a lot of money in there. It, they had lost more than $3 billion pitching to the little guy, according to Emily Flitter of the New York Times. Uh, rolling out credit cards, high-interest accounts, and loans, it says it's lost $3 billion since December 2020. So restructuring the whole company was one of the things that David Solomon wanted to do at Goldman Sachs. And the online bank, Marcus, which was not a necessarily a direct division that would help with asset management, or wealth management within Goldman Sachs, but it was its own little secondary business, consumer banking business that they had, just, it dissolved. You know, the consumer business um, with Apple and Marcus formed to create one company. So Apple, within the last year, has created savings accounts that offer 4 to 5% interest yield. For perspective, Bank of America offers 0.01%. So Apple savings accounts have basically four to five hundred times more interest than the basic savings account at Bank of America. So the investment banking and trading business are all that Goldman Sachs cares about. And this Marcus slash Apple savings coupled with Apple Card was like kind of like the like, yeah, you're kind of family, so here's a place to stay in my house, but don't don't eat anything out of my fridge, please, you know. We really don't want you here. And I think that's why this day of reckoning is coming, where they want to get out of this business, because they saw that they spent $3 billion trying to get these customers, and they're not getting $3 billion worth of business with all these just average Joes. I fight for the average Joe. I fight for someone who's below average Joe, I know how disenfranchised and how underbanked and unbanked some people get. But Goldman Sachs is never going to be in the business of the little guy with a little $200 checking account. They don't want that. They wanted this to be a carrot to dangle for some, some rich people. And then once you have $50,000, $100,000 in a checking account with Goldman Sachs, then you get that call saying, hey, we're with Goldman Sachs's investment arm. We'd like to have a conversation with you. Can I talk to you for about 10 minutes in regards to your future plans and how you plan on using your resources going forward? And boom, that's when they get you. That is when they get the millions of dollars into Goldman Sachs. Cold calling, sending emails, having people at the ready to upsell, upsell, upsell. Marcus was just kind of a means of doing that. And Apple Card was a means of doing that. And now Apple Savings was a means of doing that too. But that's not how it works. Products come and go with banking all the time. That's there's no there's no disputing that. And I'm not gonna fight saying, hey, they should keep on doing this. They don't want to be in that business, and that's perfectly fine. It's it's one of those things that's gonna define Goldman Sachs going forward, though, because you know, you like I said, you can't be everything to everybody. You know, I um part of what I do with notorious bankers, I donate um some of my profits that I make with social media 
to local food pantries over here. You know, I'm a couponer, so I spend a good amount of money, you know, buying all these groceries that I get from my writing, from my podcasting, from TikTok, from whatever. I get I get 20% of the money that I earn, and I buy all these things at a discounted price, and I stuff these pantries with food, and I let people know on social media, hey, there's some food available at this pantry located at this address, and they go get the food. Funny enough, quick side note, the last time I did that, people called me out as being narcissistic and looking for looking for kudos for donating this food it's like oh you're only doing this to make yourself popular i'm like dude (laughs) give it a fucking break give me a break i wanted to do something out of the kindness of my heart and the money that i make through social media through tiktok through my podcast yes of course i want you to look at those projects because guess what i make more money which means you guys get more food but all these guys who had the whole, you know, back the blue type of flags on their Facebook profiles. It's like, sounds like the right hand wants some praise from the left hand. Or I don't know what the hell he said. But basically, they were saying that I was just looking for attention for myself. And I was just like, give me a fucking break. But I digress. Goldman Sachs was kind of doing that, though. They were like, hey, this is for any consumer. Now, any consumer can be a part of this exclusive Goldman Sachs Bank. And that's where I was getting to with um, Augusta National and the Masters Tournament. If they just said, hey, you know, kids eat free on Tuesdays at Augusta National. Or, hey, we want people, you know, anyone with the first name uh, Jonas can go ahead and golf around at Augusta for free. I don't know why I thought of Jonas, but Jonas can golf for free. Um, as, if you just show us your ID... And we'll let you on our greens fees, which normally cost $800. You can golf for free. They don't want people on their golf course. They want to make it as ex- exclusive as possible. The U.S. Open Golf Tournament was at Los Angeles Country Club this past summer. And the whole thing that they talked about was how some of the golf pros and some of the golf announcers had never been there. Because they can't even get in. That's how exclusive it is. It's crazy. So Goldman Sachs is going back to their roots. And they're like, you know what? We don't want you to bank with us. We want to deal with rich people and rich people alone. Just because you have an iPhone doesn't make you a qualified customer, okay? The person that's sleeping on the streets. I've seen people sleeping on the streets who have iPhones. We have a substantial homeless population in this town. Trust me, it is a thing. So Goldman Sachs is just saying, yeah, we want out. We just we just totally want out of this business. And I I hate it, but I understand it. It says, Solomon's partnership with Apple follows suit with the rest of the tenure. The flashy CEO faced intense scrutiny among Goldman partners excuse me, for his focus on consumer lending and lack of focus on the traditional staples of the banking business. And that's the thing. The people who are your partners, the people who are the board of directors, your stockholders are like, why do you want the little $500 credit card from this poor guy in New Mexico? Why aren't you shooting for merger and acquisitions? Why aren't you trying to help the Boston Celtics sell their NBA franchise? Won't you be a strategic partner for them and you get a fee for maximizing their sale? Things like that. That's Goldman Sachs. Not dealing with James, the notorious banker over here, okay? And it says, Goldman Sachs recently sold Green Sky, another consumer lending platform, tended by Solomon at a steep discount when it purchased a fintech um, last year. So they've been gobbling up these companies, creating all these products, and now they're slowly just going, hey, you know, we want out. We want, we, we're done with this. 
And what happens tomorrow with earnings is going to kind of dictate the future for this. And as I mentioned in this article, American Express seems to be the front runner for someone to get the deposit accounts. I don't know if American Express is going to get the Apple card. They very well could. And it's happened before. I've had companies sell my card. Bank of America famously acquired MBNA, uh, a credit card company out of Delaware, while I was working at Bank of America in 2006, I believe. All of a sudden, we doubled our customer base. I remember getting an email and my boss telling me, things are going to change around here because we're going to get twice as many customers because Bank of America acquired MBNA credit cards and all those MBNA people are going to get Bank of America branded credit cards upon the expiration of their most recent card. And there were some customers that were like, I don't want to deal with Bank of America. I'm canceling this card. It's ridiculous. And they lost those customers. So acquiring credit companies and switching over those cardholders to your bank is something that's going to possibly happen here. And consumers got to be ready for it. Although if they go from Goldman Sachs to American Express, I don't want them to cry over spilt milk at that point in time because American Express is a good company, okay? They are a good company. So if it's Discover or American Express, I'm 100% fine with that. But, you know, whenever you say, well, you can't do that. I don't want to go to, you know, bank at American Express. You guys had no right to do that. Yeah, well, actually read the terms and conditions in your card. You didn't read them, right? Just scroll through them and hit accept. Well, basically, it says that they can do whatever they want. They can close your card out at any time. They can sell your card debt out at any time. They can tell you to pay in full at any time. This is what credit card terms and conditions are. It was going to be a great way to introduce a lot of people into credit products. And the hope was maybe Goldman Sachs thought a lot of the younger people, the college students, would get their first card with Goldman through Apple. And then when they become electrical engineers or petroleum engineers or physicians or attorneys or whatever that they're going to be brand loyal just like joe camel was to camel cigarettes credit lending was going to be to goldman snack goldman sachs slash apple well it doesn't work that way because goldman sachs is struggling right now even though by struggling they are still making billions of dollars and they want to move on from this business and i just just let them why why dance around this this dance of we want to help everyone no you don't okay you, you really don't because if you wanted to help everyone, there would be Goldman Sachs branches across the street from Starbucks just like or across the street from Wells or Bank of America. The same way CVS is always across the street from Walgreens. It's just the way that it is, and it's fine. My, my thing was the hype factor in getting Apple into the consumer lending business was was huge. I did a whole podcast about it four years ago, pre-pandemic. Didn't want to listen to that podcast to do this one because, trust me, I'm a lot better at this than I was four years ago, although I was pretty good back then too. But what does this mean for the future of, you know, Apple lending? It's not going to mean a lot because Apple's going to still help you finance the latest iPhone. Apple's going to still find ways to do business with you because they are so omnipresent that they're going to make it worth your while to be brand loyal to them. They don't need Apple Card to be their 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 forerunner. They don't need that to be the leader. That could be a lost leader for them because they still know that their money is going to be made out of creating an iPhone 
for God knows how much. I, I, I don't know how much it costs to make an iPhone. I guess I could look that up as I wrap it up here. But if an iPhone costs, you know, $100 to make and they sell it for $1,500, well, guess what? That's where they're going to make money. Not off the 20% interest of a $500 credit card from yours truly. So, you know, they got to look bigger picture and they can do this as part of their like pet project the same way that like, you know, billionaires say, hey, we're going to go volunteer at a homeless shelter or we're going to go feed people at the soup kitchen. They don't have to do that. They just want to have meaning and they just want to be there for appearances. You know what I mean? So I'm doing the search. What does it cost for an iPhone to make? So it says an iPhone 14 Pro Max with 128 gigs costs $464. That's a lot. And they retail that for $1099. So two and a half times profit on iPhone 14 Pro Max 128 gigs. So if you're making $600 profit per customer, it's not going to take a lot of customers to reach a million dollars. It's not going to take as many customers as you think to reach a billion dollars of profit on those things. And then with the development, with uh, constant success, successful launches of various products, Apple's going to continue to thrive. Apple is worth more as a company than Goldman Sachs is. So Apple is the kingpin here, and Goldman Sachs was just the the quintessential poor person that I was talking about that Goldman Sachs itself does not want to deal with. So Apple's going to be fine. The customers are going to be fine. But this little experiment of trying to crossbreed technology and banking, old school consumer lending with new school ways of thinking, good idea in theory, but you know what? There's still enough old timers out there to want it the old fashioned way. And I really think that going forward, you know, if Apple really wants to delve um, headfirst into consumer lending, they might have a strategic partnership with a bank down the road and say, hey, you know, we're going to have someone train with Apple and someone train with a bank. And we're going to be able to have this dual conversation about the future of technology and the future of your money with a customer inside a financial institution. It sounds very 1984-ish, but you know what? I think Apple was still the right company to do something like that. They're just a little crazy to do something like that. And I'm sure they're going to find a bank crazy enough to do so as well. Period. End of story. So to wrap it up, Goldman Sachs wants out of the Apple Card business. And Apple Card should not fret. They're going to be okay. And they can continue to sell these little $500 credit cards to my next door neighbor who probably shouldn't have a credit card to begin with. That's going to wrap it up for me today. My name is James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker, signing off. Thank you so very much for listening to this podcast. Once again, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it, at Notorious Banker. I am the author of High Risk Transaction, the Ryan Coogler Bank of America Incident, now available on Amazon in both ebook and paperback format. And my newest book, Predicondo, is coming out November 13th in ebook and paperback format on Amazon, paperback on Amazon, or the direct download via email from yours truly. $15 will get you this book that talks about the experience I had this past July with all net proceeds going to help my grandmother live a better life, fixing up her house in any way that I can. I'm going to use that money for seed money to do a lot of intensive work to make sure that my grandma is comfortable. 
uh, for the rest of the time that she has on this earth. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see to it that I do do that. More about the book next time in the podcast. Um, I'm looking to have some more guests to interview. I may actually bring back my former co-worker Nancy to talk about uh, life after banking. And there's a couple of other people that I really want to talk to on this podcast that I know you'll enjoy. So be on the lookout for that. I will post a notification of my intent to do those things as they come available. But in the meantime, until next time, my name is James Baca once again. Known professionally as a notorious banker, saying have a great day and thank you so very much for listening.